Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Hand to Hand in the Trenches, a missionary story podcast. I'm Caleb Hickam. And I'm Kimberly Croker. And we are your hosts for this episode of Hand to Hand. Hand to Hand is a ministry outreach of Charity Baptist Tabernacle in Amarillo, Texas. And Hand to Hand is a missionary story podcast that tells the true stories of Christians around the world who have hazarded their lives for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Hey there, welcome back to Hand to Hand in the Trenches. You're listening to Season 1, Episode Number 4. And this is our final episode about the Venns family. I'm sure everyone remembers that last week's episode, Papa was in hiding working in the underground churches, Babushka was nearing the end of her three-year prison sentence, and Natasha had just been expelled from nursing school. Yes, there was a lot of stuff that happened last week, and honestly, I think there's even more going to happen this week. Well, let's get started. By the grace of God, Babushka was able to survive her prison term, and on December 1st of 1973, she was released. It was a joy to her to be back with her family and to see little Alex for the very first time. Her only sorrow was that she couldn't see her son, because Papa was still in hiding. I'm so happy to see you again. Thank the Lord for bringing me home. Sometime after Natasha had been expelled from school, Papa sent word to Natasha through one of his underground co-workers, suggesting that she spend a few months helping work in the underground printing ministry, which Natasha was very excited to be able to do. So with many precautions, she was escorted to the city where Papa was working at the time. Natasha? There is a very special project we are working on right now and need you to help us with it. Anything I can do, Papa, just tell me. The Underground Printing Ministry is getting ready to publish a new hymn book in our language and about 400 hymns will need to be selected from several old hymn books. Miss Kata is in charge of this project and you would be her assistant and help type the hymns as they are selected. Of course, Natasha was anxious to do this. It was exciting and fun work. She traveled with Keita through the Ukraine, meeting with song leaders and helping to choose songs for the new hymn book. While Papa continued traveling on his own, preaching and delivering Bibles to the underground churches. 
At the beginning of April, the hymn book was completed, and the next step was to deliver it to the typists in Moscow. It was determined that they would meet Papa, as well as a number of other underground workers in Moscow. When they arrived at the safe house in Moscow, they were immediately allowed inside. Come in, come in. Brother Vince is not here yet. He must be delayed. But don't worry, this has happened before. I'm sure he'll be here tomorrow. But the next day, Papa did not arrive. By the third day, everyone was starting to worry. The local pastor, Brother Minkov, and a young man from the underground ministry, Brother Victor, decided something had to be done. They decided that Victor should fly to Papa's most recent known location and try to find out what happened. As for everyone else, there was nothing to do but wait. Several days later, Victor returned with news. Papa had arrived safely at the location and had met with several of the local pastors. They had seen him safely off on a train. But two days after Papa had left, there had been dozens of house searchers among the Christians in that city. The police were acting on orders from the prosecutor's office in the city of Kiev. This left no doubt that Papa had been arrested on the train. Now, Natasha, the local pastors have already sent word to your family. Apparently, your papa was taken back to Kiev, where he's being held now. I know that you feel you must immediately return home to your family, and I think you should. Your family needs you now. All of us here will disperse into other safe houses across the country. It's very dangerous now, as there's no telling what information they've gathered from their house searches. Yes, I'll go home right away. In the meantime... Papa had been taken back to Kiev and put in a large prison where he would be held until his trial. The local Christians in Papa's home church wanted to encourage him, but they wouldn't be allowed inside to see him. So the youth group went outside the prison on the night before Easter Sunday and began singing a song about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The prison was a city block long, and there was no way for them to know where Papa was being held but they wanted to do something to encourage him. As Papa lay in his prison cell, everyone was asleep. But then suddenly, he began to hear singing. It seemed like it was right outside his window. He didn't know what was going on. And half asleep, for a moment, he thought he'd gone to heaven. But then he heard the dogs barking as the guards chased the young people away. And he knew that his Christian friends had decided to encourage him in a very unique way. But he couldn't figure out how they knew what cell he was in. It sounded like they were right outside his window. And of course, they didn't know. It was just the Lord letting Papa know that he wasn't alone. Papa was held for seven months before his trial finally began. Then... When the investigation was over, Mama got a message from the prosecutor that she should come immediately to the prosecutor's office to meet with him. So Mama, Babushka, Natasha, and Peter all went to the prosecutor's office, and as soon as they got there, the prosecutor spoke right up. Two of you will be allowed to go with me into the prison to meet with Georgie Vince. I will meet you at the prison gate immediately. What's the matter? Is Georgie sick? No, the investigation is complete and the trial is about to begin. 
He needs a defense attorney. He, he wants to discuss this with his family to decide which attorney to hire so the trial can begin. This was very confusing to the family. Christians who were put on trial in the Soviet Union almost always refused to get an attorney because all the attorneys in the Soviet Union were atheists, and they would often collaborate with the prosecution rather than attempt to defend a Christian client. As a matter of fact, at Papa's first trial back in 1966, he had refused to hire an attorney, and it just didn't make any sense that he would want to hire one now. Mama and Babushka went with the prosecutor to meet with Papa. Your visit will be brief and to the point. Your husband has decided to hire an attorney. He will tell you who he has chosen, and I will record everything that is discussed here. Georgie, I can't believe you decided to hire an attorney. What's going on? I've thought about it a lot, and I decided to get an attorney this time. I want you to appeal to Christian organizations in the West to help find me a Christian attorney. Vince, how dare you make such a statement? You know that hiring an attorney from abroad is ridiculous, and it will not be allowed. This whole thing of hiring an attorney is nothing more than an excuse for you to see your wife and mother. That's not true, sir. I studied the court documents very carefully. All the accusations against me are of a religious nature. Why? Even our Baptist doctrine are under attack. There's not an attorney in the Soviet Union that is qualified to defend me, because... As far as I know, there are no Christian lawyers in the Soviet Union. Honey, as soon as you can get an attorney who agrees to participate in my trial, you'll have to appeal to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs with a request to allow them and their interpreter to come to the Soviet Union and get acquainted with my case. Through some foreign tourists, Mama was able to request a Christian attorney from abroad. They found a Christian attorney in Norway, Doctor of Law Alf Jaren, who agreed to travel to the Soviet Union to serve as Papa's attorney. As soon as they got this news, Mama wrote a petition to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs requesting that the lawyer be permitted to enter the Soviet Union. But it came as no surprise to the family that the government officers never wrote back and ignored the request completely. Papa's trial began in January of 1975. Does the defendant have any petitions for the court? Yes, Your Honor. I requested to conduct a new analysis of all the religious literature connected to my case, since the previous pretrial examination was biased, having been conducted by an atheistic expert. Therefore, I request a Christian-based scientific analysis to be conducted, I also request... <sighs> Is that all? No, Your Honor. I want the court to request from the Central Office of Public Prosecution the total number of Christians sentenced for their religious beliefs from the year 1929 to the present, as well as the number of every religious book, such as Bibles and hymn books that have been confiscated during raids on churches, services, and house searches all over the country from the year 1929 to the present. I also request information from the Ministry of Finance concerning the total amount of fines that officials exacted from Christians for conducting worship services 
starting from the year 1961 to January of 1975. I hope that's all, Vins. No, Your Honor, but I can submit the rest of my petitions in writing. Defendant Vins, I deny all your requests. They're unnecessary for this court proceeding. Your Honor, I request the court to declare a mistrial since my attorney, Dr. Al Jerem, was not permitted to enter the Soviet Union and participate in my trial. Your request for a mistrial is denied. This trial will continue as scheduled. As the trial proceeded over the next three days, witnesses were brought in and questioned by the judge and the prosecutor. After they were done questioning a witness, the judge would turn to Papa and say, Does the defendant have any questions for the witness? But Papa's answer was always the same. Yes, I have questions for the witness, but I will ask them only in the presence of my attorney, Dr. Al Jerome. When Papa was questioned by the prosecutor, an interesting scene took place. Vince, when you were arrested, your briefcase was seized. It contained a large number of books and papers. One was this handwritten notebook that I hold in my hand here. I want to read a portion of it to you. It's called the Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Vince, did you write this absurd poem? No, sir. The 23rd Psalm was written by King David thousands of years ago. I merely hand-wrote a copy of it. King David? I don't know any King David. You are the author of this poem. As the trial drew to a close, Papa was finally allowed to give a closing statement. Defendant Vins, you're now granted the opportunity to say something in your own defense. It is the task of my attorney to defend me during this trial. Since he was not allowed to participate in my trial, I will not defend myself. I place my defense in the hands of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that's your choice. And now, according to the law, you're allowed to make your final statement. The final statement on behalf of this trial, I will also leave with my Lord, who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Georgie Vins, you are hereby sentenced to five years in a prison camp, plus five years of Siberian exile with the confiscation of your personal property. Georgie Vins, do you understand this verdict? Yes, I understand. Let the name of the Lord Jesus Christ be praised. After that, pandemonium broke out in the courtroom. The KGB began to clap and shout with joy that Papa had been convicted. And all the Christians in the courtroom began to pull flowers from underneath their coats and throw them to Papa as if he were a conquering hero. As Papa was led out of the courtroom, he walked past Natasha. Natasha, don't worry about me. With Christ, there's freedom, even in prison. 
As Papa began his prison sentence, Natasha had to decide what to do with her life. She was 22 years old. She was asked by the church leaders to consider full-time Christian service in the underground printing ministry. Natasha was excited by this. She had enjoyed her time working on the handbook, and in a country where all Christian books are considered illegal and confiscated and destroyed, she could think of no higher calling than to help distribute Bible and other Christian literature. Plus, she felt like she was following in Papa's footsteps because he had been deeply involved in the printing ministry before his arrest. But Mama was understandably afraid for Natasha to go underground, as it would increase the danger of her going to prison as well. So they continued in prayer and waiting for the Lord's leading. Then, on a visit to the prison camp to see Papa, Natasha wanted to get Papa's advice. They were aware of listening devices planted in the room, and they knew they couldn't speak openly. So instead, Natasha wrote a note telling Papa what she wanted to do and about her opportunity. Papa read it and then threw it in the fire immediately to keep it from being discovered by the guards. The next morning, he wrote his reply. I am glad that you consider God's work to be the most important of your life. Mom expressed her fears and I partially agree with her. For me too, it would be very painful if you were ever arrested. But how can I say no? If you're convinced that the Lord has put this desire in your heart, my dear girl, I give you my blessing. Serve the Lord, Natasha, and remember that you will always be in my prayers. Soon after that, Natasha left home to begin working full-time in the underground printing ministry. Traveling by train around the country with several other young Christians, carrying suitcases full of Bibles and Christian literature, she would deliver them to churches and Christians wherever she went. Many times at the end of these long trips, she would be weary and exhausted from the traveling. But at the end of her journey, as she unloaded Bibles and New Testaments and children's books from her suitcases, and she would see the tears of joy in the eyes of the pastor and his wife and hear their prayers of thanksgiving at the opportunity of being able to hold the word of God in their hands. All of Natasha's fatigue would be lifted off of her and she would be excited to start another journey and help someone else. While Natasha worked in the underground printing ministry, the first five years of Papa's imprisonment went by fast. After serving five years in prison camp, it was time for Papa to begin the second half of his sentence, which was five years of exile in Siberia. Exile was a different type of prison, with its own difficulties and advantages, because even though it was brutally cold, a prisoner would be allowed to have his own house in a small village and his family would be allowed to live with him. So, as the five years drew to a close, Natasha returned home to the family so that they could all begin preparing to move to Siberia with Papa. They packed several large suitcases with blankets and towels, warm clothing, and dishes because basic supplies were scarce in the remote regions of Siberia. 
On April 25, 1979, just before Papa was scheduled to be transferred to Siberia to begin his exile, Mama went to visit him one last time in the prison camp. She went to discuss their new lives together in Siberia. They discussed what life would be like in Siberia. Papa was concerned that the children would have a hard time adjusting to a primitive home with an outhouse and other inconveniences. But he was comforted that his family would all be together again after all these years. Then, Mama left the camp and began the three-day journey back home to finish getting ready for exile. The next day was Thursday, April 26, of 1979. Right after breakfast, the guard came in and opened the door to Papa's cell. Vince, pick up your stuff and get out. Why is it just me? Why are no other prisoners being called for transport? Prisoner Vins, I have received an urgent order to transport you to Moscow. These two officers over here are going to take you. Moscow? Why do I have to go to Moscow? I'm supposed to be going into exile in Siberia. What's happening? I don't know. We're taking you directly to the airport. No further questions. Papa wondered if some other Baptist minister had been arrested, and now he was facing a new trial with new charges. Perhaps in some house search they had found some new evidence of his Christian activities. He prayed silently. So, Lord, if it's no longer an option for me to finish the remaining five years of my term in exile with my family, and I now have to face a new trial in an additional sentence. But I trust you, Lord, even in this turn of events. Please help me to accept any outcome as from your hand. Amen. Three hours later, the plane landed in Moscow. Guards led him to a police car and then drove him to the local prison where he was placed in a cell. Not knowing what to expect, Papa couldn't sleep that night. So he spent hours in prayer. The next morning was Friday, April 27th of 1979. That morning, the guard led Papa to the shower room and all his clothes were taken away to be deloused. When Papa stepped out of the shower, he found his clothes were still gone. When the guard did return, he wasn't carrying Papa's clothes. Vins, why are you not dressed yet? My clothes haven't been returned to me. The clothes are right here, fool. The guard pointed at a stool with a brand new navy blue suit, white shirt and necktie, and a brand new pair of shoes. But those are not my things. I don't want to steal somebody else's clothes. Hurry up and get dressed. Here are your clothes. Papa was confused. He didn't know what was happening or why he was suddenly given new clothes but he obeyed the officer and put them on. Then the guard led him into an office where a government official was waiting. Citizen Vins, by order of the Supreme Soviet of the United Soviet Socialist Republic, you are hereby stripped of your Soviet citizenship. You will be deported to the United States of America today. But Russia is my homeland. On what basis are you stripping me of my citizenship? For all your lawless activities, I am a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
All my activities have been entirely religious. There's nothing to discuss. Your deportation has been determined at the highest levels of government. Georgie Vins, your feet will never touch Soviet soil again. Two hours from now, you will be on your way to America. Papa was driven to the airport and loaded on an airplane, where he saw four other prisoners, each seated with two guards, and he knew that he was not the only one being deported that day. The flight lasted for ten hours. During that time, all kinds of thoughts were running through Papa's head. He wondered what his future would be like in a foreign country and how he would be able to communicate because he couldn't speak English. But most of all, he wondered if his family would be allowed to join him. Or had he seen his family for the very last time? All he could do was put his trust in the Lord. The plane landed at John F. Kennedy Airport in New York City. All the passengers were invited to exit the plane, but the prisoners and their guards were told to remain seated. Then, two Soviet spies that had been captured months earlier in the United States were led onto the plane. As they entered, the five former Soviet prisoners were allowed to exit. On American soil, representatives of the U.S. government greeted Papa and explained that a prisoner exchange arranged by the government of the United States and the Soviet Union had just taken place. Then they welcomed Papa to the United States of America. Meanwhile, back at home, the family was totally unaware of anything that was happening. In fact, Mama was still on her way home traveling slowly by train, but unbeknownst to them, Papa was already in the United States. On Saturday morning, as they were preparing breakfast, a lady from the church arrived and started talking excitedly. Have you heard the news? Georgie is in America. What are you talking about? Papa is in prison. Mama saw him only three days ago. She sent us a telegram. We're packing right now to get ready to join him in exile. No, no, you just don't know yet. I was up at six this morning. I turned on the Voice of America radio program. I heard it on the news that five Soviet prisoners were taken from their prison cells and were flown straight to America. Your papa was one of them. Turn on the Voice of America radio program. It'll be on again in a few minutes. You can hear it all for yourself. After hearing the program, they knew that it was true. Later that day, Mama arrived home, and Peter met her at the door. Mama, do you know where Papa is? Oh yes, he's still in prison. I saw him only three days ago. Papa is in America. No, I just saw him three days ago. He's in prison. No, Mama. We heard it on the Voice of America radio program. Papa has been deported to the United States. That Monday, several government officials arrived at the house and announced that as part of the agreement between the two governments, the family would be joining Papa in America as soon as possible. Babushka told the officials that she did not want to leave her homeland. Sir, I'm 72 years old and it's too late for me to change my country of residence now. Your whole family will go to America, no exceptions. If you refuse to go, we will carry you onto the plane. It was difficult for the family to say goodbye to their friends and church family, but they were encouraged that they knew they would soon be with Papa at last. 
They landed in JFK International Airport in New York City on June 14th of 1979. That Sunday, the whole family went to a Baptist church that was attended by over a thousand people. As they walked across a crowded parking lot towards the church, little Alex, at only seven years old, made a profound observation. Hey, look! Look at all these people! And every one of them is carrying a Bible! I think we could all learn a good lesson from that. I think we all take our Bibles way too lightly. We don't realize how truly blessed we are. That is absolutely true. And also, that's a good place to end the story. There's just so many things that we had to leave out, and you know that, Kim. There's so much stuff we had to leave out for time's sake that we'd really like to encourage everyone to get the book Children of the Storm by Natasha Venz. You can find it with considerable ease on the Internet. It's a really good book, and it's an easy read. Uh, adults, teenagers, anyone can read it and will enjoy the book. And it'll be a blessing to you. You've read it, Kim. It's an amazing story. There's so much information we had to leave out, and I know everyone would enjoy it. And uh, like I said, you can find it real easy on the Internet. It's not expensive. I'd encourage you, if you have time and if you're interested in, in getting more of this story, the name of the book one more time, Children of the Storm by Natasha Vins. And also, we will be releasing a short bonus episode um, it will only be a few minutes long, but it's just going to be a few moments of me and Caleb talking about some of the things that we learned and that we took away from the Natasha Finn's story, and that we hopefully will be an encouragement to you with it as well. Yeah, if you're interested in listening to that, it'll be available immediately after this podcast, so we hope you'll check that out. Also, as a final uh, reminder... We hope that you'll be listening in again next week when we start a new story. And, Kim, next week we're going to start doing the story of Michael Sattler. Michael Sattler was an Anabaptist preacher in the early 1500s. It's a really fascinating story that a lot of people don't know. I know whenever we first started talking about it, uh, I had read about it a little bit, and I think you were unfamiliar with it. Is that correct? I was unfamiliar with it, and I'm very excited to be talking about it. It's an amazing story, and... Um mind-blowing. Yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating. (laughs) So next week, Michael Sattler, an Anabaptist preacher from the 1500s. So I think that's it. But before we sign off, I want to remind everybody, we always try to leave you with a biblical reminder. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7.